Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anytime anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Monday's episode of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am Craig Fowler, and on this occasion, I shall be joined by Gary Cocker, Graham Thulis, and Craig Anderson to look back on the events of the weekend as the top three, top four, actually, now that I think about it, all managed to find victory. And there was goals in literally every single game, which is always a nice wee bonus. And six matches as well, six matches and three o'clock on a Saturday. Wild, wild times. Anyway, Without any further introduction, let's start this off by me first talking to Gary Cocker. Hello, Gary. Welcome to the show. What? When is it your birthday, Gary? My birthday is on July the 30th. Right. So I'm going to to give you a very late birthday present uh, now that we're in mid-September. And I am going to give you the present of being able to, to start this show off by talking about how absolutely rubbish... Dundee United were in defence at Ibrox. To paraphrase Mickey Mellon, they're back! They're back! They're back and they're shit. Um, and it's <laughs> delightful. No, it's... Um, it felt to me like a typical bottom six side visit to Ibrox, which is that, you know, there's that one out of ten time, like, you know, when Ake's beat range to Ibrox, where nothing seems to go right for uh, the home side and they somehow manage to squeeze out a result. But then the other nine times inevitably end in three or four nil. Sounds a bit harsh to say drubbings, but you know, very one-sided affairs, and this was absolutely one of those occasions. This was definitely a drubbing. This was, I mean, if we, so I think the last two games, Mickey Mellon has got his, his, his set up wrong. I, I think it, uh, Kelly, 
there was there was parts of it that worked, and they certainly didn't deserve to be beaten four nothing against Kilmarnock. That that very much flattered the home side, but they did play as myself and Craig Kearns talked about two weeks ago. They did very much play into Kelly's hands by letting, by, well, by taking a lot of the ball, but just kind of mainly stroking it around the back, not not being purposeful enough with it, and that just allowed Kelly to sit in and hit them on the counter attack. But but there was other aspects of their play that that was that was fair enough, and they. They certainly didn't lose by that much a margin. On Saturday, you could actually say that they maybe deserved to lose by more. And where the where is the Kelly one? I mean, it, it's kind of easy enough to kind of fall into a trap of trying to keep possession against a team away from home that you might think, well, they're, they're a kind of better side than us anyway. They certainly, United certainly should be thinking that about Kelly because of Kelly's kind of success in, in the top flight over the last, you know, three years. But obviously that kind of played into what Kelly want, which is a, a team to, to basically to take up possession and let them soak it up and hit them on the break. Against Rangers, I don't know what the hell he was trying to do. <laughs> Any ideas yourself? Uh, no, none in the slightest. And I'm delighted by that because I don't have any ideas, neither do United fans. But I, th- I think one of the, the threads which is already emerging with United's season is Mickey Mellon seems to be waiting for the the transfer window to approach its close, at which point he is hoping, I think, to uh, dip into the League One and League Two market down south, because as we all know, uh, there's going to be a salary cap introduced, which is going to mean that League One and Two sides are going to need to cut quite a lot of players, and that is probably going to benefit teams in and around sort of you know bottom six premiership um maybe even going into the top end championship as well you know teams that are just looking for players to build their squad because the problem with united squad at the moment is that it just lacks any creativity whatsoever and even though i mean shanklin returned albeit it was from the bench but i think that the the issue that united have is that without shanklin they don't seem to have a lot going for them up top and even when he comes back, he is a man who certainly when he was in the championship relied on the supply he was getting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it might be the same players uh, in the side with him at the moment. Um, you know, the likes of McMullen, obviously they've, they've brought in Bolton as well to try and uh, boost that. And Harks maybe provides that little bit of a link up, which they didn't have when they were Harks, in the championship. Harks good at, dr- is, at driving it through the centre of the park and he can he can turn the team from attack, uh, sorry, from defence to attack very quickly. And he's a very capable player and somebody you want in your squad if you're looking to hit somebody on the counter-attack. And I think he's, he's very good in all those areas, but you're right, he's not somebody who's going to pick a pass in the final third. I don't think they actually have really anybody in their squad who's really capable of doing that. Pollock can make things happen in the final third, but again, it's not somebody that's going to unlock defences. Bolton certainly looks like he has quite a, a bit about him on the right-hand side, but once more, it, it doesn't necessarily look like somebody who's going to do that. So yeah, I would agree that they do seem to lack a, a little bit of creativity. There is that fine line as well between, I think, United fans, um, particularly after the game against Celtic, were praising how you know stodgy United were and all. We were very difficult to break down. But then when you add that into, um, you know, Mellon seems to sort of prefer this, um, you know, sort of possession-based game. It reminds me a little bit of when Neil McCann uh, was just over the road and there was this idea among some fans that, oh, but, you know, we've, we've had, you know, 58% possession this game, that's surely a good thing. It's not a good thing if you can't do anything with it. And if basically what's happening is that's not a sign that you're dominating games, that's a sign that the other team is looking at you going, you have nothing to offer here. You don't have a clue what you're doing. You're passing it along the back. 
Uh, and then when the opposition does have the team, as we saw um, against Rangers, you just run about like headless chickens. And some of the defending was uh, I mean, amateurish, bordering on criminal. Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly, th- if you ask Rangers fans about the tackle on Morelos, but you know, if you did that in the street, you'd, you'd be put in the jail, <laughs> as they like to say. <laughs> um, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get on to in time. But no, uh, United. Um, very few bright spots for them at the moment. He oh, says yeah. with, a, with a very sad look on his face. <laughs> yeah, I think we should get to some of that defending because yeah, while while they may have their um, may not have their problems to seek and uh, in, in trying to you know foster up chances throughout most of the season, you're always going to struggle to do the eye box. Maybe a bit of a surprise at how little they did do going forward. I think that the one kind of bright spot. Well, they had the parks hitting the. The, the, pool, the bar, uh, the bar. Sorry, yeah. not long before Rangers scored their fourth. So I mean, that, yeah. that wasn't really going to do anything. But other than that, they didn't really have much a sighted goal. Uh, there, there was a little bit of when I talk about positives, it was very early on, like five minutes in, because they were they were keeping, they were kind of pressing Rangers and, and stopping Rangers quite a lot from playing it out from the back, which we obviously we know the Rangers like to do. And from that, they nearly got in in the fifth minute when Barisic was just kind of caught sleeping. He had Harks pressing on one side and Bolton just kind of bombed forward from, from wing back and put pressure on for the other. He didn't realise he was there and ultimately nothing really came of it. But that could have been a dangerous situation. And had they maybe worked that a little bit better, then they could have been 1-0 up early on. But just right away, as soon as after that, they, they go down. Rangers go down the left. and. Kent's able to win a corner because Bolton rushes out to Barisic. So it just leaves a big gap in behind. And I was thinking, right, surely somebody here has not done their job. Surely Ian Harks, who... So the team looked like it was lining up in a, in a 5-4-1. So I was thinking, surely Harks has just gone to sleep here. It's not followed Barisic, and, and this has led to this. But no, the, the actual tactics, because uh, it, was, it was evident on both sides, the tactics for for the game was that they would leave. So it wasn't really a four five one. It was more of a four two three kind of with Harks and Pollock kind of playing off um, Nicky Clark, who who started the game. Uh, Shankland obviously came on for him, and they were just kind of told to stay up. So whenever Rangers got the ball in wide areas, which I mean, this is Rangers. This this is what Steven Gerrard's Rangers team loved to have the ball in wide areas. I mean, yeah, you could say that, that Kent does a lot of his work through the centre, a lot of his more dangerous work, but he's not somebody who will... He's not like a wide player who will always play inside. He's not like Jamie Walker at Hearts under Nielsen where he played on, he played, you know, on the left, quote-unquote, but never actually was on the left at any point in the attack. He, he does kind of flip between both the wing and the centre, and there were so many times where they were just caught in overloads down the left side. That was what the first goal came from. It was just... It was guys who were marking in a kind of zone and no runners seemed to be getting followed and it was just a bit of a mess. And it was, on, it was the same on the left, it was the same on the right and they'd done it for the whole first half and it was just uh, it was really bad. I think, I think it was picked out in sports scene as well and um, just butcher um, criminally just watching the ball rather than actually thinking about where Ryan Kent is. And if you're in the Premiership and you think that you can ignore Ryan Kent for just a second uh, in an around your penalty box, you're going to get punished for it. But, um, but even then, he, like, you could see him like pointing and you could see another few... That was like, it happened so many times where like loads of guys were just pointing and it's like, who are you pointing to? Whose job is this supposed to be? Because I was looking, I couldn't figure it out. 
So it really seems like whatever Mellon's defensive instructions were for this game, his own players did not understand it whatsoever. Long may it continue. <laughs> um, <laughs> right, but, we should probably get away for United because, uh, well, they got pumped uh, and talk about Rangers. So, yeah, I think United did make it quite easy for Rangers, but at the same time, I think you could probably say that nobody had a bad game in a blue shot. No, some of them obviously had unfortunate games. The number of injuries that we're talking about, but I suppose the good thing, quote unquote, for Rangers is that the players that were going off injured, you know, wasn't, if I was a Rangers fan, I would be slightly more concerned, say, if it was Barisic or Tavernier uh, or even Roof at this stage. Um, I mean, obviously, Morelos went off injured, so that's part of my uh, my reasoning there. But, you know, the, the players that have gone off, it feels as if they do have uh, plenty of resource to fill that gap in a way, but then it's still not ideal if, uh, you know, if, Steven Gerrard's looking to try and keep his team fresh and give himself plenty of different options. But I imagine losing Brandon Barker to injury is not going no. to derail their title hopes massively. And even Ryan Jack going off, that's a blow. And But Glenn Kamara, I think the problem with Kamara has been that him and Jack are a bit too similar. So if you're bringing on Kamara to play Jack's role uh, with Davis, he was much more effective. Mm-hmm. And I thought Kamara was, was excellent after he came on. And was getting forward to, to kind of support the attack more than, than Kamara has, has tended to do throughout his career in Scottish football. I have, in all my time that I saw him at Dundee, so that was like a season and a half, I think I saw him approach the penalty box once and I panicked. So God knows what was going through his head. He did have, he did have a header that flashed by the posts at one point. Um, so he's, he's yes. clearly building on that in this game. He has scored for Finland, believe it or not. Don't ask me how, but he has scored for them internationally. So. Surely it must have been for about 40 yards because he didn't go that far forward. Yeah. Must have been a mistake. Um, one of those clipped passes that just caught the wind and flew into the top corner somehow. But no, I think um, especially I mean, when you can bring on the likes of Arfield off the bench and we saw what he did to United, he uh, was a, a proper super sub. And I think if he was your super sub on the SPFL fantasy game, you were probably rubbing your hands in glee. Um, but just the... The sheer number of options that Stephen Gerrard has means that these injuries aren't ideal, but given who they're to, he should be able to cope. Barisic wasn't actually injured, was he? No, was he wasn't. He? No, no, they just, they just rested him. Because basically, I'm surprised he leaves on Kent for the 90 minutes, because I think Barisic and Kent right now are the two most valuable players. Them two, and I'd say probably Tavernier. Uh, yeah. I think everybody else in the squad does at least a, a kind of decent replacement for. And... <laughs> I don't think anybody would have thought that before this season about Morelos, but Roof, uh, another game where I think he looked fairly sharp, and he's, he's not, I don't think he's quite as impressive as Morelos can be, but I do think he looks like an effective player, at, at least at the, the Scottish Premiership level, and he, he's kind of looking sharper and sharper by the game. And uh, Calvin Bassey, I thought he looked a, a decent prospect, different kind of player to, to Barisic. Barisic. He's almost kind of like Tav on the left side, it looks like. Somebody who's just a bit more about pace and power, whereas Barisic is the wee bit more kind of subtleties to his game. Uh, to be fair, Tavernier's a, or at least he was a very good crosser. He's crossing, kind of took a, a severe downturn last year, but obviously even still, he's not as great a crosser as Barisic. And it, from the few times they attempted it, it didn't look like Bassi is as well. So that will be a problem if Barisic gets injured. And even though Bassi looks a... a Able deputy in a number of ways, that kind of attacking avenue will be gone for them. But Barisic hasn't really 
had many injury problems, I don't think, throughout his Rangers career, so it's not really anything worth worrying about there. And yeah, I mean, it's really kind of, there's not really much to say other than that. They just were I mean, their defensive dominant. records is obviously sensational yeah. at the moment. That's seven clean sheets in a row. I mean, you know what's going to happen. They'll keep a clean sheet every day up until October the 12th or October the 13th, um, the first game against Celtic of the season. Uh, and they'll concede four somehow. But um, no, it's a much... It maybe feels a bit too much to say it's a much improved Rangers side because I think the, the proof of the pudding will be how they fare after January when they have their traditional uh, post-Dubai dip. But at the moment, it seems as if they're, they're tighter at the back. They've got so many more options up top and even not having Morelos uh, hasn't been uh, a, a massive blow for them given what they've been able to do, uh, Livingston game aside. So... Uh, I think if you're a Rangers fan, you're probably looking at this and thinking, you know, things are looking good. How about the challenge on Morales itself? What was your what was your take on it? Uh, I, I would put him in prison. I wouldn't even stop at a red card. I'd bring on the polis from the side, but setting aside my obvious biases, um, it was very similar. And I think we spoke about this uh, before in the group chat, which these podcast listeners don't know about, but it was similar to the Shaughnessy tackle um, a few weeks back in the... It's you cannot prove or disprove anything simply by showing somebody a still picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was actually, in a way, it was fairly similar to uh, in the Barclays this weekend. Um, I, I'm unaware of what that is. Yeah, it's it's some it's some sort of Tim Pot league that also plays on these islands. But um, again, just, it's, it's funny. Ta- my, my interest in the, in the English Premier League is it's just done after one weekend. I just looked at the score of the day: Tottenham nil, ever won. <laughs> I was like, well, I'm not paying any attention to this this season. Yeah, you can watch all or nothing. That's entertaining. Okay, you can, t- you can just pretend that the actual game itself doesn't happen. Um, but no, it's it's one of those tackles which, depending on what picture you look at can look terrible when you see it in say in real life when you see it in uh in video you can see that you know he does go in but it's not as if Morelos you know jumps up in the air and immediately makes a meal of it he almost tries to carry on before going no 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 and then just like going down to the ground slowly so it looks I mean he very clearly caught him I mean anyone that's seen the picture of that massive hole in Morelos's mm-hmm. leg and I don't think if Clancy had uh, spotted that, I think his view might have been blocked, but since it's Kevin Clancy, who I don't have a lot of time for him, I'm willing to listen to any Rangers fans. Yeah, can, on we, that. can, can uh, we start with people fucking like looking at the hole in his leg and looking at like slow motion replays or stills or whatever yeah. and saying, oh my God, how did he catch that? When I first watched it, I didn't even realise what happened until Morales had gone down. I, I, I didn't realise. So innocuous. Because I think we all saw that, obviously we all saw the sills on Saturday and it was only later on when I watched the game that I was waiting for it and I was waiting for this big horrific moment that was somehow missed with players surrounding Kevin Clancy screaming in his face. But you didn't have any of that. No, I, nobody even noticed Genuinely, it. you were like, oh, is that is that the incident everyone's talking about? And obviously the, the aftermath of it is terrible. But whether or not that then means challenges are read, I mean, you could argue that if you go in with your studs up at that level, even if it is an honest attempt. I mean, that is basically what Joe Shaughnessy did a few weeks ago and he got a red for it. And I don't think United could have really complained about it, but then I don't think on the flip side of that that you can claim to some anti-Morelos conspiracy. Yeah. and For a red card, there has to be a danger to an opponent. Definitely that. I think that speaks for itself. And it has to also be unnecessary force 
Now, I see, because the force of the tackle isn't that bad, but you could also, your interpretation of that could be, well, why are you making, why are you kind of keeping your legs straight for that, just that tiny little split second longer than most players would kind of thing. Uh, so I'm swithering towards red, but I don't think it's as it's, it's bad a decision as some have made it out to be. I think the fact that it just wasn't clocked at all is what makes it particularly... Yeah. No, it definitely should have uh, been a foul and, a, and a, at least a booking. Uh, before we move on, just a shout out to uh, Tom uh, Tom Miller, is it? The Rangers commentator, who mm. uh, described uh, oh. Conor Golson and uh, Philip Hillander as the Twin Towers a day after 9-11 anniversary. Yeah, that... Uh, when I saw that on Twitter, I, I thought it was somebody making... A, particularly Ill, uh, ill-conceived joke, but no, the commentator genuinely made that analogy. Great. Yep. And th- there is no link I can make between that and the next game uh, without offending everybody. <laughs> so, not that I can th- even think of one. Uh, so let's just say, let's move on to <laughs> St Mirren 0-Hibs 3. Uh, the game that I watched live on Saturday, however, I was doing a, a live blog, so I probably watched about 20% of it, which is, is what happens to journalists when you have to do live blogs of games because you're having to write while you're watching and it's quite hard to do both at the same time. Uh, but I think it was easy enough to get the gist of this. St Mirren were well off it, pretty much right from the off. Hibs not only scored twice in the opening 20 minutes, they also had you know two other really promising opportunities with Boyle going through the middle. I think there was maybe even another kind of half chance in there as well. And with the, with the exception of a little rally in the last 15 minutes before halftime, St Mirren just weren't at the races at all. It would have all changed if only Willie Collum had spotted Ryan Port just punching the ball. I mean, it could have done. The, the, that has to be said. Goals do often change football matches. With, I mean, if you look at the, the Rangers-Aberdeen game from, from last season, where Rangers were 2-0 up, absolutely playing off Aberdeen off the park, cruising. They looked like it was going to be four or five, and then Aberdeen score, and, and the match completely flips. Before that, see Aberdeen don't score that chance, and then Aberdeen fans would say, "Oh well, if we scored there, then the game would be different." Everybody would be like, "Oh fuck off, you still would have got humped," kind of thing. But no, this, this is what happens if it will goals do change games. So there was an element of luck, but over the ninety minutes, Simon didn't really deserve that luck. No, and I think obviously naturally a lot of focus has been on their goalkeeper situation. Um, and the fact that they had to bring in somebody at incredibly short notice. My guess is he must have arrived in Paisley on Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, so he would have, uh, obviously this is Bobby's Lamal we're talking about, but he would have had barely any time to familiarise himself with his backline. Uh, and I think that that, I think there's undoubtedly communication that can be built up which can help avoid some of the situations um, that he managed to get himself into. Uh, I think the only one that's particularly bad is the, I think it was the third goal, uh, yeah. which was the one that Boyle um, punched in. Uh, but even there's then, there's he's a bit not... of a running theme of uh, Hibs players punching the ball here and really calling avoiding it, but there you go. Even um, even then, that's not really an issue in the overall game, is it? Because I don't gone. think... Yeah. He, you can maybe say he could have done better the first, but I think that's very harsh. It hits off of Nisbet about two yards away from him. He doesn't really have much time to get down his low and it squirms just under him. I think that's just unlucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, it's just, 
You could say, though, I mean, Goodwin uh, said afterwards, like, it, it, it kind of, he didn't blame it on the the positive tests and having no, no goalkeepers, but he talked about that, so I think he was deflecting a little bit. That's fair enough. I mean, managers do it all the time. We've obviously accused Neil Lennon of it a few times this season, and but I don't think you do have to wonder whether that just kind of played on the players' minds because they really, in terms of like intensity and focus, they were nowhere near Hibs on the day. No, and I think we've we're all in agreement that Samarin are a little bit of the surprise package so far this season. Uh, at least in a, in a positive sense. Until the uh, last two games. I mean, until yeah. the last two games. Um, until the COVID hit them. But no, it's. I think there's definitely signs of progress at Paisley. I think that under Goodwin, they've clearly been quite keen to avoid um, being basically survival experts and they want to actually um, do what Tony Fitzpatrick has said they'll do for the last 20 years and break the top four. But, <laughs> um, but you know, I think some of the... There's definitely been positives, um, certainly the test results that they've been getting lately. Um, but this was a game that they just had to write off essentially once, you know, once the three uh, goalies had to sort of sign off. And they've got another difficult game in midweek. They've got Celtic. Um, I mean, if I was St. Mirren, I would just let Jamie Langfield play in goal against That would be quite funny. It was... I'm still blocked by Jamie Langfield on Twitter. I have no idea why. I've never said anything bad about him on Twitter. I even checked him on search yesterday. Never Did even. You che- you didn't use clanger or any point, or oh, or, or you might have retweeted the the video of him getting absolutely clattered um, from Motherwell's goal to put them second. That's another option, maybe. But it's not like I've like properly slagged them off or anything, or even engaged them. So it's, it's a very weird one. Uh, but I'm a very petty man, so I actually hoped he was going to play and let in about fifteen. <laughs> uh, was there anybody at all for St. Martin who impressed you? Not really. No, let's move on to Hibs. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it is harsh because I do feel, you know, Samarin have obviously made a decent start to the season. This is not going to be a good little run for them um, that they've got at the moment. But I, I think that we've probably seen more than enough from them to think that, you know, as long as uh, as long as they can avoid their players um, picking up any more positive test results, then they should have a, a decent enough season. But Hibs, Hibernian Football Club. Yes, this was this was much better from Hibs. So I was a little bit kind of concerned for them when the team came out. And again, it was a 4-4-2. It played in their hands, I think, that St Mirren also went 4-4-2. Had St Mirren, I mean, St Mirren obviously lined up in the, the three. It's, um, it's Johnson, it didn't work. So I don't necessarily blame Goodwin for shifting out of that. But And he might have thought that Hibs would... Would go with a, a three in the middle in some variation, whether it's three five two or four two three one or, or whatever. And so maybe he was taken a bit by surprise because since the Levy game, Hibs haven't played well in the four four two. They've been overrun in midfield. They've been quite static, quite plodding. Not looked particularly great, even though they've managed to get results. They're, they're still well, only suffered one defeat all season. That was a game against Aberdeen just before the break. They're they're yet to concede a goal from open play. In seven matches, that's very impressive for a team who, before the season, was uh, prematurely brought to an end last campaign. In their previous four matches, before then, they conceded 11 goals, and five of those were at home to Inverness Cali in the Cup and bottom-placed Hearts. So, to basically take the, the same unit... And to the only real changes are they've now got a proper defensive midfielder in front of them in Gogic, and Josh Doig has replaced Lewis Stevenson at left back. But even then, that's 
probably more of an asset on the attacking end rather than as defensive. So overall, it's a very great job by uh, Jack Ross in that sense. But in this game, it was it was more about their attacking play. I thought, like in comparison to the United uh, match and the the first half against Motherwell, they just were. It helped that they weren't over on the midfield, but even so, uh, they were getting it forward quickly and with purpose. And the guys were several players were making runs, vertical runs to kind of break through the the Samaritan resolve. And you saw it very early on, as I kind of I talked about Boyle, like going beyond Nisbet and Deutsch through the centre, trying to get on a kind of through ball through there. McGinn did it for the goal. Newell was doing it quite a lot. Newell had a great game. Um, both him and Boyle, I thought, were the best two players in the park. And if they can get performances out of those two guys, then I think they can make the 4-4-2 work, even if other teams might overrun them a wee bit more in the centre. But it's when they play statically that they're going to have problems in that formation and, and you're going to have to move it into something that's a bit easy, a formation that's just a wee bit easier to kind of play between the lines. I think that what can be downplayed either is the improvement that I think I've seen at least in Paul McGinn. Um, obviously, he was at Dundee before uh, and then I think he went from us. I think he was at St Mirren for a while too. Um but he has come on leaps and bounds. And I think that as much as Josh Doig is getting a lot of plugs on the left, um, as you would expect for someone who's come in and replaced a, a club legend in Lewis Stevenson um, with barely a, barely a bat of the eyelashes, um, then you know that's definitely something that's uh, going to give them that little bit more balance. But I think you're right in saying that Gogic is a massive part of that because he can sit back and basically almost turn that back four into a back three and just let Doig and McGinn push on and he can just sit back there. Uh, and I think it, it's relatively rare for us to suggest a signing that could work in Scottish football for that signing to then come about and for it to then work in the way that it's been predicted. But I think everybody was saying uh, when the interest first came up, um, everyone was saying, well, you know, Gogic, you know, Gogic would be a great signing for Hibs. He would really sort of jam up the middle in a way that you know, Hibs, Hibs for years to me have seen soft through the middle um, and they've needed someone like Gogic to actually go and sign him and then he does actually work out for them. Um, so, you know, fair play, Jack Ross. Yeah, and you could also say as well, another kind of real positive about this was that Christian Doyle doesn't, again, didn't really have a good game and it hasn't really played well since maybe scoring the winner against United. And also, Jamie Murphy still looks like he needs a wee bit of time to get up to speed. So you've got two of your attackers there, and they still looked very threatening going forward. They scored three times. They could have had a couple more in this, but especially, I think, wasted a, a couple of decent chances other than his goal. And yeah, it's looking... I mean, they can. The, the fact that it was kind of looking after the Aberdeen game, like it could go in the wrong direction for Hibs quite quickly. Because they had a great start to the season, but they only really played well in like a game and a half, if that. And you're thinking, is this just a bit of an aberration? Are they actually not that great a team? But to then come back and to put in this sort of performance, you're already kind of looking at Hibs and saying, if they don't finish top four this year, something's gone horribly wrong. Yeah, and it's, I'm, I'm sure you'll be speaking to one of the others about Aberdeen. Um, but it is just this bizarre uh, situation where I think you said that if Aberdeen continue to accumulate points at the rate they have so far this season, they'd end up on 85 points, which is <laughs> madness. Uh, given what well, that was before Saturday's game as well, actually. Yeah. So, so I'll, need to, I'll need to change that because I'll be more now. Yeah. So, no, it's, um, I think what we're going to see this season is 
I think, and we're already. Oh, sorry, it. sorry. Just while I've got in my head, uh, that reminds me. I went to bring this up. We were talking about Barisic earlier. Barisic has got four assists in seven games. So if he keeps up this rate, he'll finish the season on twenty-one assists. <laughs> He's a left back. <laughs> Ridiculous. I mean, looking at the table, you can already see that it's pretty clear there's going to be a four and eight split. So you're going to have the Rangers, Celtic, Kips and Aberdeen. Um, you know, a, a decent gap between them and all the others, but you could pretty much throw a blanket over the yeah. over the other eight teams and where they'll end up. Um, I've no, I have no idea who's the worst team in the league. I've no idea who's the fifth best. Yeah, all I know is that Ake is going to finish tenth, as they always do. Yeah, yeah. Right, Gary, thank you very much for joining me. I'll let you get away. Thank you. And now we welcome Graham Thulis onto the podcast. Graham, how's it going? I'm very well, Craig. I, I, it's been a difficult uh, couple of days, um, so I was really glad to have two um, free-flowing, exciting games of football to talk about. Um, having not only watched the Motherwell game on Saturday, I got to re-watch chunks of it today as well, and let me tell you, it did not get any better. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, um, let's park that one for now. Uh, let's go with the game with more goals in it first, and that was the match at Almondville. Livingston 1, Hamilton 2. Livingston taking the lead in the first 30 seconds, an own goal from Sean Want uh, but Hamilton forced the way back in the game David Templeton scoring an equaliser in the second half and then Kyle Munro scoring late on yeah but still not despite some late drama in which so probably made it the better of the two games still not a great afternoon's football it wasn't. It wasn't the, the. It wasn't the greatest game I've seen this season. Um, again, <laughs> to put it mildly. Yeah. Uh, again, again, I kind of wondered if post international break would be when the season kind of in earnest started, and it in a chunk of the games it did genuinely feel like that, and in the Motherwell game as well to an extent. It just felt like teams had had enough time together, and then having an extra week where obviously some players are away on international duty, and that's fine. But the majority of players was a case of hey, this is what we've done in the first four or five games. Now we, these are the things we need to fix. We've got a week to do it. Let's do it now. It's the sort of thing which you had a pre-season game or you had a Betfred game, and then you had to take a week or so and sort it out various other bits and pieces and focus on some stuff. And watching a bunch of the other games, that's very much what this week felt like to me. Um, this game is kind of an odd one, really, in that Livy. Like from the off, Aki's. Last time we were talking about Levy, we talked about how many ludic- the ludicrous numbers of crosses they put out of the box. And Aki's obviously saw the same thing that, that I did and you did when we, when, we, when we looked back at that game previously. The way in which Aki's were just, they were quite happy to just seed the wings uh, to Livingston, which was almost jarring um, at points in the game, just to pack the box with players and looking at Odofin and Want saying, what we're going to do is you can put as many balls in as you like because our guys are going to go and win it. And to, in fairness to Aki's, they played this pretty well. The, the, with the first sort of minute aside, I thought Aki's did really well throughout the game. I, I don't, yeah, I, I thought they were okay. I, I still thought Livy were the better of the two sides. I mean, the second half, you can maybe say that Aki shaded it, but I thought Livy were the, were the much better team uh, to the half. It was not only quite bold to kind of seed the wings, it was also bold to go with a, a 4-4-2 diamond uh, where your fullbacks are Scott Martin, quite young himself, uh, and a midfielder, clearly not a right-back, uh, as he kind of showed a few times defensively throughout the game, and uh, Kyle Monroe on the other side, who is 18 years old. So and He's also listed as a forward, I believe, in various in various of the stat sites as well, and again, I have no idea whether there's any, any think, basis in that whatsoever. I think he's a winger who could also play at fullback. Right, okay. Um, the, I, mean, it's, I mean, this is, this is just... It, 
every every club has like a problem position generally. Like Hearts haven't had a good left back since the the Greek laddie left, and since then, I mean, you've had about fifteen since, and none of them have been any great value. Aki's every single year seem to come back. I think the Greek laddie wants to do it. He's going to tack his pieces. I had Lee Wallace after that. Well, right, okay, okay. But, but again, that, that's different because he came from the youth system, so I'm yeah. not giving you that one. In, in, order, in, in order to bring in a, a fullback, okay. Aki's every single season seem to just not have fullbacks. And even when they, even when they, they sign a fullback, so previous years they signed Ziggy Gordon, who is a fullback, and just played him at centre half. And again, <laughs> a dolphin, again, seemed to be a fullback when he played at Levy. The fact that he's a number two would suggest he's also a fullback. And like even now, like they got a fullback in Lee Hodson who then got COVID. So, like, just Aki seem inca- absolutely incapable of having a fullback of any great note and ultimately- to be fair to be fair somebody put on Pi and Bovril uh, how have Aki's managed to take Levinson's fifth choice right back in tournament of Virgil van Dijk <laughs> he is so very good like again I was I, I, I've said this but I, I feel like I sort of broken record going on about it I think a Dolphin's absolutely brilliant um, both him and big Davy Moyo I, I absolutely love to bits but a, a Dolphin is mean he's tough there was a 50-50 with I think it was Lockatish down in the corner and he, he just absolutely went right through him won the, won, the, won the goal kick as well he is good in the air. He is aggressive, attacking the ball in, a, in an offensive sense. He's aggressive in a defensive sense. He plays when he needs to play, or he plays when he can play. But he's also more. He's more than happy to just empty the ball. He has been so very good. And again, it might be because Sean wants that other that more. It's another year older, and he is progressing in the game, and he has been playing a lot of football, and he's just getting up to this level. But Sean Wunt looks like a much better player standing next to Hakeem Adolphin than he has at any other point, and bearing in mind that he stood beside some guys that are fairly well established in the game to begin with. I think my my feeling is that it's Adolphin that's bringing him up here as well, but the two of them I thought were very, very good. Yeah, I think outside of the centre-backs, I don't think anybody else... Uh, really performed for Aki's with the exception of David Templeton. Uh, I think it's safe to say without Temps, uh, Aki's definitely don't win this game. Uh, it's not just because of his goal, goal and an assist, even just kind of in general play. He always looked a more kind of threatening player. Uh, Okunpo and Mayo, uh, Dunner, kind of, or Mayo, I should say, uh, Dunner, kind of various bits and pieces of holding up and making a nuisance themselves, but it was too few and far between, really. A, a lot of the time they were kind of easily. Uh, bettered by by Levy's defence, but it really was kind of Temps who not only was kind of a standout creatively, but in the kind of the build up to both goals, he, he helped win the ball back in like congested areas, and he really kind of showed a, a lot of heart in this game. Something that he's sometimes been uh, accused of of not having enough. And I will also say that I thought Ross Callahan played fairly well. Um, we know that Callahan's about energy. Sometimes that's quite useless energy, and he just kind of runs about and doesn't do anything. In this game. I think he was able to get himself on the end of, and pick up many second balls and do a lot of kind of necessarily kind of fighting and, and trying to win back possession. And he had probably the best game I've seen him play for Aki so far this season. Templeton feels like a guy who is, he feels like he was, he's Aki's to the cold in the way that he plays for them. And he, he's, as you say, in, in perhaps at Rangers, it was maybe just a little bit too big for him or, or perhaps at Hearts, he was just a little bit younger and now he's just a little bit older and more mature. 
the way in which he plays the game for Aki's is the, the quality and guile that he brings to the team. But it's far more than that. Like you say, it's the graft that he puts in and he feels like he is like an Aki's youth product who, who has always been part of the squad and loves the team and wants to do absolutely everything for them. And whether it's a case of they gave him a chance previously when maybe other teams didn't, it's the, the way in which he plays for them is absolutely remarkable as well. I, I really, really, and again, he's one of these guys which I think just about everybody in Scottish football is actually delighted to see playing and playing well. So yeah, he was. I thought he was very good as well. He was, he was top man and the, the strike for his goal was absolutely ludicrous. So let's put Alan to the side and move on to Livingston. I think for Livy, it's not been a really good start to the season and I can see that their supporters are getting a little bit concerned. And I think they've got a right to be concerned if they've got any kind of hopes of reaching the top six. As for kind of concern of whether they might drop out of the division, I still think that they might be too good for that because I think their problems are quite solvable. Gary Holt was saying after the game that the kind of disappointing thing for him was that they weren't clinical at one end. <clears throat> Scott Pittman had a good game, but even though he kind of forced the goal, he he missed a couple of good chances as well. And they've kind of, that's been a wee bit of story of the season. And also Holt really hated the fact that in the other box, they were undone really by two set pieces. Um, the second one in particular is really bad. I mean, the first one, Guthrie gets out jumped by a dolphin, but a dolphin just has such a, a kind of a dolphin's a kind of one coming from further away, so he has a bit more of a jump on him, and he's just so forceful and powerful in, in the way that he does it that I don't know how many defenders would have stopped him in that situation. And then you can say that you know Temple the one who gets to the second ball, but I think in that confusion anything could kind of happen, so I wouldn't be too harsh on them on that. It's the second goal where Scott Robinson of all people, usually very reliable for Livy, that's what he kind of brings them. Uh, just completely switching off for a second and allowing Kelman to get the run on him. And so they've sold Dykes. So that's obviously a, a huge blow because I think it's easy to see that while Lokatic uh, looks pretty, I think he looks okay. I think he again had a, a decent enough game. He's obviously not the same type of player. So I think the chances of getting top six may as well just about right off, other than the fact that, as uh, we mentioned earlier in the, the podcast, myself and Gary, that with the, outside the top four, Everybody else is just much of a muchness at the moment. So, yeah, who knows? They might finish six. But I think really in a, in a normal campaign, you'd be saying, like, let's just aim for eighth and, and hope for that. And I think they can still do that. Because even after Lokotic went off, uh, Scott Tiffany came on, and I think he'd done pretty much similar the same. I think he linked play up well. I think he'd done a decent job putting off the Aki's defenders when he could. It just seems to me for Livy that they're doing a lot of unlivy things at the moment and not being the team that kind of maximises the most of what's at their disposal. And if they can manage to fix that, if they can get the defence playing to a level that they were last season, and with Guthrie and Ambrose, you reckon it's certainly possible. And if they can just get a little bit more out of some of these kind of supporting players to the forward, Alan Forrest is still a little bit of a question mark. He showed some signs, but in terms of whether he's kind of the right man to replace Stevie Lawson. That's uh, sorry, Stevie Lawless. It doesn't seem to be there quite yet, but I still think there's enough there with Pittman. If Robinson can find a bit of form. Sybold, Holt provides something. Didn't necessarily had a good game. Bartley's another one who is taking a little bit of time to get up to speed. Maybe somebody because of his older age uh, struggling a, a little bit uh, to get going after the kind of long wait due to lockdown. If they can get just a little bit more improvement, tighten the defence up, get a bit more other midfielders going. I think they should be fine. Yeah, I, I thought Lokatish showed the, the, the Livy goal kind of showed everything that he can bring to the team. It was really good play from him in the first place. The the 
chesting it down and then making the run and then playing them. I, th- I, th- I thought that was really nice. Um, Livy's, you would, I can understand why the fans are a little getting just that little bit concerned about it, given that they've had two losses at load, two, two losses at home and conceded six this season. Last year, they had two losses and conceded eight over the course of the season, and it was a short season, so by fair enough. And then the season before that, it was uh, the end of December before they had two home losses as well. And Livy's away form has been over that period. Just it, it's been fine. It, it's not been something that you would look at and say that is a disaster because it doesn't really matter because your home form is good. But if your away form continues to struggle and your home form starts to fall off as well, that's where you begin to worry a little bit in there as well. Um, <clears throat> and again, like you say, it's, it doesn't feel like it's a million miles away. But the while obviously Dykes leaving is a, is always going to be a blow that team kind of has a little bit less of a sort of a star appeal because of that. And that's, it just means that they need to, you need to sort of maybe readjust the expectations of Livingston on the basis that they're not going to be the team they were last year. They're just going to be a team which, as you say, struggles through or sort of goes through the season and finishes eighth or so. But like you say, the, it was kind of striking, kind of how, it has been striking how poor they are at set pieces, both offensively and defensively. There's a bunch of Levy free kicks in this game which hit the first man, which just kind of went aimlessly and it just doesn't feel like what they are. And that's, they've had so much joy out of that over the past few seasons as well that it's, it feels like they're missing that, missing that trick. I don't know whether they're maybe focusing a little bit more in terms of getting players up to speed and getting players fit rather than spending as much time working on things like that. So over the course of the season, you would imagine it'll start to pick up, but it's going to be a strange season for everyone. Um, and, but as, as I imagine we're now going to move on to the other game as well I mean there is essentially I, I wouldn't even say there's a there's a, there's nothing between eight teams I'd say there's nothing between ten teams There's uh, to me there's a fag paper between the ten, the, the ten teams that aren't Rangers and Celtic while Aberdeen and Tibernian are better just now Hibs seem to be getting a lot of results which are just over the line or coming against teams at perfect times and Aberdeen they once I'm curious what happens when they drop a couple of games um, as well whether they bounce back it's dead easy to be running around having a great time playing football with your pals <laughs> when you're winning but again when you start to lose a couple of games um, do you have the ability to bounce back from that? I'll, I'll, I'll agree to disagree with you on that one because I, I do think that Aberdeen and Hibs are standard about for the rest of the pack but I, I do kind of get your point I just think everybody else there's just a kind of it's a real kind of lack of quality that I think goes back to struggling to make a lot of signings from a lot of teams this summer or, or kind of having to dig a little bit deeper because of the financial uncertainty just around the football world, basically. Yeah. And teams haven't signed as much as they usually do at, at this point. Uh, well, they're actually signing more at this point because it's September, but you get my point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and again, I think I think the, the argument around match sharpness as well is something which is going to... I think that's going to carry on until sort of November, December time, um, ultimately, because they've not had two months of pre-season they've not had Betfred Cup games to go and cuff Edinburgh City in order to give themselves the confidence to go into the league season and I do think that I didn't think this before but I do wonder if no fans in the grounds does make things a little bit weird as well because we've not seen I don't know too much weirdness but I suppose if you, it's maybe because at the top it's kind of just as we'd imagine I mean obviously Celtic are third but they would be second or joint top if they'd had the ability to play all their games but in terms of like results for the rest I mean, like the NBA playoffs are going on right now, and there's no fans. They're all they're playing in a bubble where, like, literally every single game is on like three different courts in Florida, and there's been a lot of weird things going on without uh, supporters. I think in the 
obviously there's no kind of home field advantage at all because they're not even playing at each other's ground. So there is that still retention in Scotland. But just not having fans in the building, I think maybe makes footballers act weird. Like, it's not used to it. You're not used to playing it, even in the Scottish Premiership, even if you're a fucking Hamilton player. And obviously they get a, a slide quite a lot about having no fans and stuff, but it's, you still actually have fans there. There's still over a thousand people watching your game and tough. Nobody is going to make you react different in different situations. Are you going to be as... It's human nature, and you're looking at the sort of natural reaction of people. Some players thrive off that. Some players get a little bit down underneath that. And again, I think ultimately, I think the chances are it'll probably level out in the middle. And the players that struggle under a bit of pressure will be have a little bit of pressure off. The players who thrive with a bit of pressure will be not quite at that level as well. But I do, I, I agree with you as well. I think it's going to continue to be a, an odd season and. It's games like this one, like the Motherwell one as well, where you kind of feel if there were three, 4,000 people there, then there's going to be more in the game, there's going to be more aggression in the game, there's going to be more desire in the game, and ultimately Livingston maybe lacked that a little bit. Um, Hamilton, because they're playing away, maybe it's less of a thing. Um, and again, I, I, I've, th- I've felt that with th- from quite a few games this season, that it, there's been sort of 10-minute periods, which I don't think would happen had the fans been there I, th- I think those 10 minutes periods of play where things are just that little bit slack and that little bit slow and it's the sort of thing where fans let players know Hamilton's a good example I think Hamilton have played yes they've only played 6 games they've played 3 at home 3 away at home they've lost every game without scoring a goal away from home they've won 2 of them and they scored in the other one which is away to Celtic as well Yeah. so that, that kind of shows you the fact that I'm not looking at overall stats. Maybe home field advantage is still a, a big thing, but it doesn't seem like it is as much as, as it would be in, in most seasons. But let's move on anyway to the game. Motherwell against Johnson. Motherwell getting the victory, the first of the campaign. Alan Campbell scoring an early brilliant goal for the hosts. And that, that was all the scoring in the match. But I think for Motherwell, it's obviously a massive positive to get, you know, to get yourself off a snide and to... To, to maybe try and get some momentum going forward. And it, it really doesn't, I suppose, matter in the end how you do that. You, you get the victory and then you maybe start to breed a bit of confidence and you start to play a little. But there wasn't a whole lot on show to, to suggest that things are going to turn around quite quickly for Stephen Robinson's men. No. And I, I, again, the, since shifting to a back three, we look like a better team, uh, which is great because we bought a bunch of attacking players and wingers. Um, <laughs> She's great. Um, At least you can play with two forwards in this one. I don't have to stick one of the forwards in the wing. It's true, but I quite like the forwards in the wing. Um, but <laughs> nonetheless, it's it was much better from Motherwell. Um, within the first couple of minutes, uh, Marco Hara took a ball from uh, the defence, turned on it and burst through the midfield, which is, it was nice of Hara to turn up and do that. Like it's, it's been sadly lacking from him so far this season. And just straight from the off, Motherwell looked much more on it than St Johnston did. Um, we've done that a couple of times this season where we've looked good to begin with and then sort of faded off. But St Johnston just didn't really offer a great amount of attacking threat. They hooked O'Halloran and Hendry as the game went on, um, bringing on Kane and May. And to be fair, Stevie May should have scored. Didn't. But again, that's no great surprise. Um, but once Mother World got in front, it felt like St Johnston were unlikely to go and get a winner or, or get an equaliser. Um, Motherwell, again, kind of sort of dropped off as it went. But I get the, the 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 sort of defining factor in the game is Alan Campbell. Again, I've I've 
we say before we started recording, I've kind of I don't have a huge amount of notes in this game because honestly, I've kind of run out of things to say about Alan Campbell. Yeah, we, go- the last the last time I joined, we just got a wax letter ball about Campbell. Yeah. So just for another Alan Campbell game. Yeah, again, his, his goal is exactly everything that he's about. He went and won the ball, turned it off, turned around, shrugged off a Motherwell player who was trying to take it away from him, burst through, and then lashed it into the goal. Brilliant, fine. That's if you want to, if you want to do it, what Alan Campbell is about as a player, just watch that goal, and that's basically what it was for ninety minutes. From him. he was once again tremendous. Um, it was good to see Nathan McGinley come back in as well. Um, it was a bit of a worry in terms of how long he was going to be out, particularly given the suggestion that Liam Donnelly is going to be out for quite a bit longer. So kind of worrying that once you've got two of your first eleven out of the team, then you start looking at you. St- we start having to shift players around from the places they should be. Um, Ricky Lamy continues to struggle. Um, he is oh. doing horrible, horrible things to my heart rate. Um, he should have been at fault for two goals in this game. He should have been at fault yeah. for if Michael Halloran, if he has a a bit of finish or b shows a wee bit more composure and realizes that he's got his strike partner standing right beside him who if he just knocks it back because he can't be offside because the ball would go backwards then Hendry can literally walk that ball into the net and then later Stevie May uh, with him it was just about providing a better finish he, he caught it quite well but he just kind of obviously cut across a wee bit too much and sent it uh, past the far post but Lamy was just so bad for both those incidents yeah, the the flip side of that is that Bevis Mugabe, having played, having got a run of games, has turned into being looking like or, or looking like a very competent, a very sensible defender. He is doing the thing. He's doing everything that can be expected of him at this point, and that's uh, the way I the way I tend to look at football as a sort of centre halves and goalkeepers. Just be competent. I, I don't really care whether you're remarkable or, or, or anything else. First and foremost, just be competent, and he's looking very very comfortable there just now, standing next to Declan Gallagher. He is an absolute unit so he's winning everything in the air he's good at tackling don't ask him to play too much football but even at that the more games he's playing the more competent he's getting with the ball at his feet as well yeah he um, was he was at the centre of the back three and just won his battles kept it simple because he was at the centre I've kind of noticed as well in a lot of long balls the, the he was the one that was kind of Teams do this differently some teams will have one of their kind of wide defenders kind of run out but he was the one kind of a, like encouraged to go out and attack the ball and when he did so you could see Lamy and Gallagher kind of just narrowing themselves ever so slightly in case it got past them uh, but it never really I think it did once uh, maybe the first half where he kind of misjudged the flight of the ball but other than that it didn't really get past them at all It was, an, it was interesting to see Tony Watt start as well I'd kind of presume that, that what would have been like what was going to be our guys the season started um, and then just seemed to keep picking up sort of wee knocks and sort of ankle twists and things like that so it kind of kept him out and again Watching watching him every time, and, and particularly in this game, I was struck by quite how good a footballer Tony Watt is. Um, quite how we get the most out of him, or whether we can get the most out of him in a way that other teams haven't over the past sort of four or five years as well. But some of the touches he has in this game and some of his movement in the game is as as good a centre as good centre forward play as you're going to see from just about anyone. It is just a case of trying to figure out exactly. For me, he's the he's the guy that starts, and then you figure out in an attacking sense then you figure out who you, how you put other people around him because he's got a he is just to me he is just a cut above as a footballer um, in terms of his ability and the things that he can do with the ball so figure out a way to get the most out of him and then build the and then have the other players around him to do that we've got more than enough guys with the quality to figure out what you go do your stuff and then we'll fill in the gaps behind you or figure out how to play around you because it's it is noticeable um, the sort of the ability that he has in there 
One final word on Motherwell. I was about to move on to St Johnson just there, but I, I remember I had one more note down, which was I think that Stephen Robinson deserves uh, some credit, firstly, for, for changing the kind of system in the first place, playing three five two, getting uh, getting the kind of victory and, and getting them that impetus early on. And then when things were going against Motherwell in the second half, and it, it started to look for a little bit that St Johnson were going to find an equaliser, he changed things up again, brought on Liam Grimshaw and moved on for McGinley and changed it back to a 4-3-3, and that kind of stemmed the flow. And from that point forward, I'm not sure, I can't remember when May's chance was, but I don't think that Johnson really threatened much after that. And yeah, that, that was down to a Ricky Lammy mistake rather than rather yeah. than anything else in there. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I entirely agree. It was something that Robinson did very much in his, his first sort of first season, first two seasons, was that he'd be very good at making changes, um, which he's, in, in more recent past, it has, his changes tend to be just chucking a bunch of strikers and then hope, hope for the best. I'm glad he's kind of gone back to far more like looking at it and going, well, actually, if I take this piece out and then put in another piece and then rejig things a little bit that's and, and put a bit of thought into it as well. And yeah, I, I'm in full agreement on that. That essentially killed the game. Um and as on, on the other side, Callum Davidson did did what Robinson is, is prone to do by just chucking on some attacking players and it just didn't really, nothing really changed for St Johnston massively. Well, it was yeah, just different I'm, bodies in there. I'm going to go straight to that point, actually. Um, so it was after 52, 52 minutes, I think it was either 52 or 57. They look quite similar, sevens and twos. Um, he brought off O'Halloran and Henry and brought on me and Kane. So he basically just swapped forwards for forwards. Now, can I understand it. I don't think that, I mean, Hendry or Harhallen were having particularly good games. Both of them have missed very good chances as well. Uh, one, one aspect that we'd have a problem with is that I think if you're chasing a goal, Chris Kane is probably the least likely of those four guys to score that goal. So I just think maybe, maybe don't bring him on that early, maybe leave him. But my main problem with it is Stephen May and Count Hendry built up a very decent partnership in the second half of last season, playing in a, a kind of 3-5-2 as St. Johnson are at the moment. So I don't really understand if you're needing a goal, you're bringing May off the bench, at least give him and Hendry 15-20 minutes to see if there is that kind of spark that they established before last season was prematurely brought to an end. And I just, to make your, both your striker subs that early, it's another, I think it also speaks to what we've seen Quite often this season, I've brought up on previous podcasts, is managers making changes maybe a little bit too soon because they have the ability to bring on five subs. I think if he's only got three subs to make, I'm not sure whether he brings on Chris Kane at that moment, and I think he would probably leave on Hendry, and I think he should have done that because I think you should see of those two. And if you, if you think about their kind of natural, both their natural abilities, I think they actually are typically two footballers who would fit beside each other and do have success in the recent past. I just, I just didn't get why it was why he made that change when he did. And again, O'Halloran kind of through the middle never really feels like a, a great thing for me. He's um, not. He's not a forward. He, he doesn't. He's always in, like, in, in, he, he in, could obviously do the job on occasion because of his searing pace. So if you're going to play a team that's going to play a, a high line and you want O'Halloran at the front of the attack to, to stretch them as much as possible and to maybe get behind and take advantage, like we saw him do at Ibrox uh, in that famous game. Uh, when St. Johnson knocked out Mark Warburton's Rangers in the League Cup and O'Halloran completely tore them to shreds. But overall, he's definitely a winger. He doesn't have the nous uh, to play up front. He's, his positioning's off, his anticipation's off. He really just has pace and sometimes a finish that's not too bad. But generally, it isn't. Michael, playing Michael Hallam through the centre, he's not going to get you a dozen goals a season, is he? 
No, and it takes away from the rest of your team, essentially, um, and you, you lose out on, on other places there. And again, when you look at throughout the St. Johnson team as well, I feel like McCart and Jason Kerr are absolutely fine as a centre-half pair, and I'm not entirely sure what adding a, a third centre-half in there, and, and then I feel in doing that, I feel the two of them are, are capable centre-halves at this level, um, so adding another one in, it feels like it's hindering the rest of your team. At the moment, Motherwell playing a back three, you're getting the most out of the players in that team because you've got a very active midfield. Um, while St. Johnston do have quite an active and, and, and physical midfield as well through McCann and Wallerspoon and Conway maybe less so. But certainly those two have, have, the, have the ability to get up and down the park enough to support that and it allows McNamara a little bit more freedom. But again, I'm just not, I'm not convinced But that's, that's the best way. I'm not convinced that Johnston are utilising their players in the best way that they can. Yeah, well, you mentioned McCann there and I think he's somebody who's been curtailed a bit this season by Davidson's tactics. He seems to not get, be given as much freedom to get forward and support the attack as he was under Tommy Wright. And I, I wonder if that's... So to begin with, it was two number 10s or two second strikers playing behind the main striker. Davidson, as I mentioned two weeks ago, applauded them for changing it up and going with what looked more like a 3-5-2. A three, a three, but you could almost say it's almost a 3-4-3 three, three as well because Craig Conway doesn't act as much as a kind of typical midfielder. He's as a number 10 in that system. And maybe they would be better with just a bit more balance in their teams. Kind of what we're used to with Johnson, like, just have three centre midfielders. Have utilised your number eights. Johnson have had great number eights throughout the last what decade, really. And instead of playing Conway, as much as I hate to say this, because I did used to really love Conway as a player, and it was it was great nostalgia to wax lyrical about two weeks ago when he had a tremendous performance against St Mirren. But he just doesn't quite, I think, suit that role. If you're going to like, for instance, I think he could do that role in terms of the fact that, as I said the other week, he's got very good. Uh, intelligence through his experience in the game. Uh, it means that if, when he plays in that position, he can. It doesn't have to be necessarily explosive, and you still get that crossing threat because it means he can just go from right to left whenever he kind of feels like it, given that roving role. But if you're looking between swapping with the other midfielders and maybe allowing McCann and Davidson to get forward, you maybe want David Wotherspoon there, somebody who's a bit more comfortable operating further back, somebody who can just swap roles with McCann or Davidson for an attack or two. And you can maybe even have all three of them working together. Liam Craig as well is somebody who could do this. Just the three of them kind of working in tandem. Two of them go forward to support, one of them stays. The next time you another two, or you know, next time one of them stays, another one goes forward kind of thing. Change it up, give the opponent something to think about. They're all definitely capable of doing that. And I think he's, Davidson is maybe just restricting his team to too many specific roles in the centre of the park. Yeah, essentially you, you 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 said what I thought in a much better way. So thanks for that. <laughs> that's, that, that. That's essentially the thought. That's essentially the thought that I had. That you're restricting your best players. Essentially, you're not getting the most out of the players that you have. Motherwell are using the system to get the best the best out of the players at the moment. Just about St Johnston looks like it's restricting um, their better players. Uh, final word, I would say Danny McNamara probably St Johnston's best player again. So at least at least there's that. At least there's that. Well, turned it one I, hell of a fucking side in so far. <laughs> well, I, as I say, I, we can talk it for another 10 minutes about Alan Campbell, if you like, but I think people have had more than enough of that. Yes. Right, Graham, thank you very much for joining me. Enjoy the rest of your evening. Thanks, Craig. And now, last but not least, we welcome Craig Anderson onto the podcast, and we shall begin 
with the champions finding a wee bit of their mojo once again, putting five past Ross County in Dingwall in the start of the game and kind of blowing some cobwebs off their own performances this season, even if it parts in the, in the first half. They were a wee bit slack, I think it's fair to say. Although, can you get your opinion on this? I, I'd listened to kind of Sports Sound and kind of heard the interview and heard the, them talk about the game and heard, when I say interview, I meant like Stuart Kelwell talking about it. And it was kind of made to, it's kind of made to, I knew that Edward had scored early, but uh, I was covering the Hibs games. So I wasn't too sure when the other goals had been scored. And I, I'd kind of just assumed it was 1-0 at half time, but it was 2-0 quite early. So I kind of thought, well, yeah, Celtic were a bit sloppy and County did play some of the better stuff, but who cares? <laughs> if, you've, if you've got one goal and then another goal very quickly, you don't really have to do anything. Yeah, I think I think it's a kind of trap you can fall into. It's like not thinking about the game situation when you're kind of assessing what's going on. I, I always remember the game that we played. Um, we played Rangers on the last day of the season, and they had to um, to win to win the league. And it might have gone down a goal difference. I can't remember. And then really, we were like three 0 up in ten minutes, and it was it was shite. But I remember going away and thinking, do you know what? After we went 3-0 down in the first 10 minutes, we played all right. <laughs> it's like, what was the point in that? Like, you're 3-0 down. It's not. It's, it's essentially a waste of everybody's time. And I think in the context of losing 5-0, Ross County played well for a team who lost 5-0. Yes. But the, 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 if you're 2-0 down that quickly, you're not, you're not by any stretch in the game. It's very rare that a team would come from 2-0 down to... In fact, I think they might still have been the last team to do it, to beat Celtic from 2-0 down, which was Stefan Wolfarth going the winner, which would have been like five Two, years ago. Aye, I reckon that would have been 2013. Uh, yeah. yeah, probably you're right, yeah. I I think there was, there was, I mean, I don't want to be too harsh on County because there was points where they did play some nice stuff. They, they kind of shot from just outside the area that Conor Randall had that went kind of narrowly past the far post. That, that was a good move. County held on the ball for about 40 seconds, moved it from left to right to left to right again. Uh, basically, kind of probing the kind of Celtic wings because Celtic started in the 3-5-2. And so County and their kind of typical 4-1-4-1 uh, had uh, obviously overloads on that. Uh, Randall and uh, Josh Reed are two fullbacks who aren't afraid to get forward. And they, they sometimes made Celtic uh, think in those areas. I thought Michael Gardine throughout the game played very well. Uh, he was one of the most impressive players in the park from an individual perspective. But yeah, it was just, it was, when, when you concede two kind of really cheap goals as they did, Celtic, I don't know how Celtic were going to play. Maybe Celtic, you know, sometimes you concede an early goal to Celtic or an, a couple of early goals and they really smell blood and, and they go for it. And other times they can be slack because... They will, they're expected to win every week and that's sometimes what happens with teams they take their foot off the gas a little bit well they've got a game in midweek it's like they're still you know okay it's the Mirren and um, the, you, you've probably already talked about their goalkeeper situation but it's still a game if you're 2-0 up it's, it's kind of natural to take your foot off the gas a bit and, and and then to be fair to Lennon, I think he knew that they probably shouldn't play the 90 minutes that way. I'm, I'm, I can imagine he gave them a kick up the arse at half time because they were certainly better in the second half, passing the ball a lot more crisply. Because there was a lot of, as well, even though Kenny did well and forced Celtic into some of these mistakes with their kind of energy and pressing, there was still just a lot of Celtic players playing uncharacteristically poor passes or, or taking poor touches. Edward, I think, in the first half, other than winning the penalty and then converting it, a very, uh, very cool penalty, I must say. 
he had quite a few unnaturally heavy touches for him and didn't quite get into the game as much after that. Uh, second half, he looked a bit better before he was obviously kind of you know rested. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard, to, hard to dig too much into this. I think Shane Duffy, other than a kind of scary moment uh, in the first half where he kind of went to sleep a little bit and uh, didn't realise that there was a a man coming on the other side of him. I think he looked pretty pretty strong at the He's back. He's a big boy, yeah. He's a big boy. Like I think I can't remember um maybe Joel said in our group chat when when they signed him. I think he'd watched him play for Ireland. They were saying, you know, he's going to score he could score double figures in the league this season if he if he can attack the ball like that. And you could kind of see that he's just it's not often you get a player like Marvin Andrews is maybe one to remind you of that when you see him attack a ball, it's like you almost feel like everyone wants to get out of his way. Um so I can I can imagine him that being quite a big weapon for them. Yeah, and I think you can see that while he wasn't one of Celtic's better players, I think Ajeti, you could kind of see what him and Edward will kind of, how they can maybe complement each other as a partnership. I think Ajeti played quite a, a big role in the first two goals in terms of just his, the way he's going to operate on the park, kind of moving backwards. Uh, in, in the first one, he was... He dispossessed uh, Harry Payton in Celtic's half, and that was how that attack started. It's, it's a poor goal from County to lose because while it's it's kind of on the kind of on the counter attack because they've, they've taken the ball off them in their own area and they moved it forward. County actually got back quite well and got into position and were there man to man, but Edward was just just better and. Yeah. I mean, Kettlewell can moan about Edward throwing himself to the ground or whatever, and, and Donaldson didn't seem too impressed either. I think he cut them. It looked like a penalty to me. Yeah, it's hard to tell with it because you, you can definitely see a view where you're like, oh, not sure about that. But I think I always think like the player who commits it complains and no one else does. You're always unsure as to whether um, that's what's kind of going on or not because it's like. Um, if, if everybody is upset compared to if it's like the guy who fills him is almost doing it to protect himself from his teammates, probably it's a, it's a foul. Um, and as much as I always think it's unfair to criticise a goalkeeper for, for penalty, I mean, uh, Lee was just, he's never saving that because he just commits himself so easily. It's, I mean, yeah, as you said, very calm from Edward, but he's just kind of, he, he telegraphs it so so much that he's going to the left that it makes it so easy for, for Edward to slot at home. Which, which, um, is, then, which is poor because that's Ross, Ross Laidlaw's thing is saving penalties. And if Ross Laidlaw isn't saving penalties, I mean, some people would say that if he's not saving penalties, then he just really isn't. He's just a waste of space. Now, I'm not saying that. But some people might be saying that. Yeah, too. and well, I think I think we made this point, or I made this point before that, and, and I, I know he couldn't play on, on Saturday because he's on loan from Celtic, but, but doing should be the number one there. Surely that's why when you see him being brought in, you assume it's to be number one. So it's very strange that Lee was been playing, and, and I don't know if they were just almost kind of waiting to get up to this game to kind of give him a wee run, and then they'll kind of nudge him out the door but but I think we've said this before about Lee Vaught it's, it's not that he's a bad goalkeeper it's just that he's he's a very very 6 out of 10 goalkeeper if even that at this level which means you're never really going to be successful with him yeah I think there was a, a bit of praise as well on the radio and from looking at the game like I can see why a little bit in the second half Scott Brown was kind of getting after it a wee bit more dispossessing county's players and then therefore kind of selling setting up Celtic to, to drive at them. But I think that's, it's not like we, we were saying like the other week how 
Brown looks like he's definitely on the way now, and he's coming. He's definitely, I mean, undoubtedly coming to the end of his career. But it seems like the end is, is within sight now. But he's still going to be capable of performances where he is a, a real influence on the midfield, especially in Scottish football games. The difference is that, or the key is that he has to be managed properly, and yep. I don't think he's necessarily been managed properly so far this season by Neil Lennon, who still seems convinced that he has to start every single game, has to play most minutes in most games as well. And he doesn't, he's, you should save his energy for when you really need him. Yeah, yeah there's, no, there's no harm at this point in his career, as you say. I mean, he could get a 45-year-old Scott Brown and he could still come in and, and dominate games. And the way that he plays, I mean, yeah, there's a bit of energy involved, but it's about his kind of presence and stuff, and that's never going away. But... Yeah, as you say, if you can get 20 good performances out of him a season, that's better than 70 or however ridiculous number of games that, that, that Celtic midfield plays. Like, you've got that, you've got depth there purely for that reason. And why not Why not use it a bit more? But it's been a complaint that we've had about Celtic, even even under Rodgers, actually, wasn't it? Like, that he, he didn't necessarily rotate the squad enough. Um, but again, it's hard to, you're, you're picking negatives here. The thing, I, the thing I took from Celtic is, is going for the three at the back. I, I generally, to be honest, don't like three at the back formations in general. Um, I think a lot of teams are kidding themselves on, Scotland being the, the most recent one that was infuriating me with a system that I just think isn't going to work no matter who you put in it. Oh, sorry, no matter who you put in it within the limitations of the level that you're playing at. If you've got the best technical footballers about, then, then you know the, the three four three and stuff will work. I mean, I'll get one to a 3-4-3 that, that, that did work very well in, in the other game we talk about. But for Celtic, they can clearly get away with three at the back in a game like this because it gives them the way of putting two up front without kind of taming the, the wide areas and also giving them the extra body in the middle. I do wonder where it leaves El Yunusi, though. And as a guy who's um, you know supposed to be one of their big, their big marquee players, how does he fit into that? Uh, quite simply, he doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> or he... He might start, if they're playing a 3 5 2, I can imagine that they might play him up front with Edward. I don't know how well that would go, but you can imagine him, I mean, at least in a kind of game like this, because he did come on and, and play basically up top alongside Klamala later in the game and, and laid on uh, an assist it was for the a very goal. nice pass as well. Yeah, so maybe he could probably do that job, him being the one that will kind of drop deeper a bit more, uh, run the channels, uh, just kind of. He's got kind of chaos factor to him, so he could do that where Edward kind of plays the cool guy. He's not going to get many opportunities, though, but then again, he is only on loan. It will be a jetty, I think, that they'll be looking more to be, because I think, is there a deal in place, maybe? I think there might be to sign a jetty at the end of this I thought they had loan. signed him. I thought they had signed him. Oh, I thought they like six or seven million quid for him. Um, I could be wrong. Let me just let me just double check that. Uh, one thing while I'm checking that, one thing I want to ask you. So we've talked about the three five two. So obviously with the three five two, you can only kind of so Frimpong started on the right, and that means you either have to drop James Forrest or play him through the centre, and or play him on the left. And they decided to play him on the left instead of Greg Taylor, who dropped to the bench. So I kind of uh, was teasing you and Scott about this because we've had debates over. Uh, Taylor's abilities as an attacking fullback. What do you make of the decision to go with Forrest on his weaker side rather than Taylor? I I think as an attacking fullback, Greg Taylor's fine, but I don't don't think he's ever going to be a wingback if you want to. You're right, sorry, they did sign a jetty on a a four year deal, £5 million transfer. 
Um, but yeah, I think that's that's the problem with Taylor. I think he needs he needs a player in front of him making that space. And I think he, I mean, particularly when he played with uh, Jordan Jones, but with other players, he he could kind of sneak up unnoticed. You know what I mean? And I think he's 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 a kind of unassuming player, so people don't expect him to kind of pop up in attacking positions, which he did quite a lot. If he's the only wing back on that side, I don't think that's going to play to his strength at all. However, I don't see that it plays to James Forrest's strengths very no. much either. It's like James Forrest, passable, but probably no more than that as a right wing back. He's definitely not going to be a left wing back. And, and yeah, I was saying, where does it leave Elianusi? I guess you have got the question of where does it leave Forrest? I don't think, as much as Lennon said this is the way he wants to play, I don't think it's the formation for the big games for Celtic because I think it just... When you're when you're playing a big game, say when they're playing against Rangers, a team who they are slightly better than, um, and, and I think you're talking marginally at this point, you don't want to play a formation that risks kind of letting the team run over the top of you or let, letting the team dominate the game against you, which I think playing the 3-5-2 can. I think if they go to a 4-4-2 or a 4 4 3 3 or whatever they do, they know that they're going to get, you know, do the business. And I think that's my problem with the, the three at the back is it's, can be a very flaky formation. It's very reliant on all the players playing well. And and when one one cog in that team doesn't play well, like Scott McTominay, for example, not that I'm blaming him, <laughs> it, it, it completely it completely throws off the balance of the whole team. Whereas if one of your you know your right back doesn't play that well in a four four two or a, a back four, you can generally get away with it a bit more. Um, it, it's just it just becomes very specialised like that. And so against Ross County, against most teams in the league, you can get away with a, a, a poor performance, but that that's my that's my concern with that three at the back end. And yeah, I think you're you're right. There are a number of players who there will have to be question marks about where they fit in. Um, Taylor being one of them as well. Um, I don't think I don't think he can play um, as a left centre back in that either. I think he's very much a, a left back. Um, yeah, Forrest maybe he can play right wing back, but then what do you do with Frimpong? When I saw the team, I assumed it would maybe be the other way around because that would make a bit more sense to me. But because um, because Frimpong is going to go up and down a lot more than being on his wrong side is maybe less of an issue. But Yeah, he's also not a particularly good crosser of the ball from Pong. So and that's, he, and he's that's not a, as much of an issue if you're on your wrong side anyway. And he's actually a very good technical player. Like mm-hmm. he's, he probably got, he could probably play as a number 10 in a lot of teams. He's got that kind of touch and stuff. So that might be something they think about. But yeah, it, it does leave some questions. It does make sense given the number of strikers they were repeatedly trying to sign um, and maybe I haven't stopped doing yet. But... Um, well, that, yeah. Before we move on to the next game, actually talk about one of the strikers, uh, Patrick Clamalla. I think once again he kind of looked like a player who he did score, but he still looks like a talent who is like a step below Celtics. But I still think if Lee Griffith's Celtic career is coming to an end, and you would think that is maybe the case, and even if it's not, if Edward possibly goes before the end of the transfer window or even if they get a serious injury to one of their forwards, you have to think that Kamala is a kind of third-choice striker, could be quite effective in this league, because, yeah, he's not as good as most of his teammates uh, from a technical point of view, and he does need to get a work on his composure quite a bit, because he obviously, while he scored, he did have a, a really poor miss when, I mean, what he was five yards out, took a really poor touch, and then instead of, just picking his spot when there's literally just a defender on the line, just hammered it as hard as he could and just happened to obviously hit off a defender, which can happen if you're not, you know, paying attention to where you're actually hitting the football. And, but I still think, despite those criticisms, 
there is something there. He does seem to be able to to get into the right areas in Scottish football. He's got pace. He's got a degree of power. Sometimes that's all enough. That's all you really need in this league. And he seems at this point like somebody who could play as that third striker and still get like 10 or so goals this season. I think the issue Celtic fans often have is that I think they're almost like almost a bit bored of the the players that have been there all that time. So so when they bring in a new guy, they're, they're kind of desperate for him to be playing every week. And given the fee for Kalamala compared to some of the other ones I've brought in, that's probably not what he was. As you say, he was probably brought in to be that type of player. Um, and so he's going to have to be patient. Either either they think he's a project and they work on him and you know they, they give him these minutes here and there when they're when they're winning games or you know throwing him on to chase it while they've got two clearly, clearly much better strikers at the club. Or they cut their losses at some point. But as you say, they, if they're going to be playing two up front regularly, well, beyond beyond the two that played on, on Saturday, um, you, you, as you said, yeah, you do have El Yunusi, yeah, you maybe have Forrest. Christie probably can't, as weird as it sounds, can't play as a second striker as well as he can play as a, a lone striker almost. Um, I think, um, so, so you do just need another person. And the one thing he can definitely do is stretch a game because teams are not going to um, play a high line when when they know that he's he's that quick to run in behind them because I think he's quicker than um, or and he definitely looks quick and I think that can be, be part of the part yeah. of the um, like whether he can thing. actually beat Edward in a sprint he, he yeah. looks like he could and that's kind of because, in the defender's because, uh, mind that's part of the problem. Yeah, Edward's very laid back in, in his style, so so he kind of. Um, is deceptively quick, but but Clamalla is probably the opposite. He's probably he's probably slower than he looks, but you you think yeah. So so that gives them just another option, and and especially if they're going to be flexible tactically, they need to have options out there to kind of do that. It's like uh, the, I mean, I think we might have changed after his uh, injury when he tore his hamstring off the bone. But Christoph Berra uh, always accused of being like slow by oppos- opposition fans, and Craig will be insane. Well, he's literally the fastest player in the squad when we do sprints. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just, yeah, he's, he's, he's big, he looks big, so you, I think there is an assumption that a big player can't be quick, even though if you watch the, the um, 100 metres at the Olympics, they're all like six foot plus. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there is a, there is a sense of, of that, I think. Right, let's move on to the game at Pataudry. Aberdeen won your Kilmarnock nil. Uh, let me down for a small bit I had. I went for a modest bet just to try to win myself more money so I could waste it on NFL and NBA. It didn't happen. I was let down by Kelly failing to score a goal. That's all I needed. I just needed Kelly to score. It wasn't both teams to score. It was just Kelly to score. Didn't happen. <laughs> what, uh, what was this game? So this is a game I, I didn't manage to catch and I've only really managed to read up on Aberdeen. So give me the, the Kelly perspective first because Aberdeen, I don't think there was too much different from the last time we talked about them after the Hibs game. Yeah, I thought I thought from from we'll get back to them, but they played really well. They're they're, they're a good team. They're a much better team than they were last season and probably the season before. From a Kelly point of view, I I wasn't ultimately obviously you're disappointed you lose, but you're kind of like, do you know what? We played all right there. There there were there were issues with the the team, or not the not the selection, but the issues with with the the performance in the sense that as as we've said like a few times. There's just maybe not that little bit of creativity in the team. Now, of course, part of that is well, Yusuf Malumbu was brought in to do that, and he, he was missing for whatever reason, um, maybe maybe injured or whatever. Um, so it wasn't an option to bring on. And then you look at the bench, and there's not a lot of flair that can come on as well. I think it's it's been a problem with the the squad for a long time. But everyone kind of 
Everyone probably outside, I thought the front two played quite poorly, Kabamba and, and Brophy. Now, a lot of that was down, um, uh, Tommy Hoban in particular was excellent for Aberdeen, but um, the whole back three was very good against them. Um, so I think a lot of the game, Burke was quite quiet. Um, he, he did have his moments, but given what we've seen from him, he can do a bit more. And so that leaves you immediately blunted in an attacking point of view but I thought in the midfield Kelly were very good um, Tishbola I, I continue to be very impressed with since he came back I think he's potentially starting to make himself the first midfield name on the team sheet which is a lot to say in that in that midfield um, the defence again I thought played very well um, again it was disrupted because um, well Brod, Brod, uh, Finlay came back in having gone off injured against uh, Dundee United we weren't sure if he was going to play but he did um, and then Broadfoot, who'd had a very good game up to then, had two separate clashes with um, McCrory, both kind of accidental, kind of knee-to-knee type ones um, in the first half, and he had to go off at half-time. Dickamona came on again, and, and Dickamona's been fine. Um, Ross Millen came back in at right-back. Uh, that was Some of our fans were confused about that, because and the Kelly TV were saying it, that Rossi had played right-back in the Dundee United game. Rossi's not a right-back, and you could see in the Dundee United game that he wasn't a right-back, and had Dundee United had a bit more nous in terms of top-flight football, they might have taken advantage of that, because he got booked for kicking the ball away in that game. And a lot of balls were kind of going over his head, and it was clear he didn't really know how to play right-back. So I wasn't surprised to see Millen come back in. If you were going to... I, I don't think it's easy to criticise anyone for their goal, because I think it's just a nice, well-worked goal. But if I was going to criticise someone, it maybe is Millen for just kind of letting letting the ball come into his area. But I, I've been, on the whole been pleasantly surprised with the two fullbacks, um, Millen more so than Waters, because I always thought Waters was decent enough. Um, a kind of a kind of solid option. Um, Millen, I, I kind of had written off as, you know, just there for cover until we have a proper right back. Um, but he's, he's never let us down. In, uh, sorry, he has. He literally let us down against St. Johnson. But, <laughs> but, and on the whole, his performances... Um, you know, Why was he playing the other week? <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. His performances out with the tackle, um, one tackle, have been have been quite good. Um, and Waters, I thought, had another really really good game, to be honest, at left-back. Um, he's, a good, he's a good player for Kelly to have because he's a good crosser of the ball, Miller. He's and an excellent crosser of the ball. I don't think there's, there's actually many full-backs in the league that are a better crosser of the ball. Um, the problem was, as I say, you, you kind of don't get much from crossing the ball into the box against that Aberdeen back three. So, I, yeah, there were disappointments, but to be honest, um, you could hardly, I could hardly come away raging because we always lose to Aberdeen anyway, and, and they put up a good, a good showing. And the next four games for Kelly are massive because, well, the next six, but the next four in the league are, um, I'm trying to get the order right, but the, the Hamilton at home, St Mirren away. Um, Levy at home and Motherwell at home or something like that and that's we. I think out of the teams out of the teams of the league we've probably had the toughest start we've played all the teams who are up the top um, some of them three of them away as well and um, aside from the St Johnston one which was an objectively bad result everything else you'll find well do you know what if you predicted those scores at the start of the season it'd be fine but now we, the pressure is on to go and take you know at least I would say at least 10 points from those four games. And in between it, there's two League Cup games that are against uh, Falkirk and Dunfermline, I think, and you're, you're obviously hoping for wins in those. So I think having got through a tough start and not not really played badly with the exception of a second half, a first half against Ross County and the second half against Rangers, um, 
this is the time where they need to go and start putting the results on the board. And if they do that, then I'll be happy. And if they don't do that, that's when the questions arise. So you've already praised Aberdeen. Uh, if you could just expand on that, what, what kind of stood out to you the most? It was very much the same as the Hibs game. There's just so much more verve, confidence and kind of entertainment to their performance. Um, the midfield is just very dynamic now. Um, McCrory... And I think I think you were the same. Never really been sold on him as a player. Um, I just didn't know what he was really. Yeah, um, I I wasn't sure he would become much. But watching him in Aberdeen midfield, the last three games I've seen him play, um, he's 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 superb. He's he's really looks every bit like he should be a central midfielder, which I know is what Stephen Gerrard thought he would be. And and again, it's very hard to to blame him or Gerard or whatever from not breaking into the Rangers midfield because they've got a strong midfield but it does feel like it wouldn't surprise you if in like three years time Rangers end up paying money to buy him back from Aberdeen it feels like one of that type of um, thing where once he's gained the experience because he's um, he just he's just an all-action midfielder and I think Aberdeen in particular is a club where that type of player is appreciated and I mean most most clubs they are but I think they've had a long history of that and um it is, I mean, it, is, it is Gerard who doesn't really seem to rate player midfielders that much, which is a bit weird because that's kind of that's what he was. But maybe it's like he's not as good as me. Therefore, yeah, yeah, um, maybe maybe he does hold players to that kind of standard yeah. because it, it it does seem to prefer guys who are much more kind of technical, much more composed than the ball guys who you can trust to regularly make five, ten, fifteen yard passes. That's not necessarily Ross McCrory's game. No. Um, and the front three for Aberdeen is is very good. I think um, some of their fans are already kind of unsure about what to expect when Cosgrove comes back. Because... Literally, all I've seen people say is uh, sell him and use the money to buy Watkins yeah. permanently. What Watkins, it's funny because obviously we remember him from, from being a winger at Inverness, but I think he did play a few games he through did, the middle. The second se- the, his final season, he played up front and he was better um, for it. Um, and he's, he's definitely... He's definitely got that, but he's a facilitator. He's very much... He's not going to score a lot of goals. He'll score some goals, but he's not, he's not going to score half as many goals as Cosgrove would mm-hmm. but he brought so much more out of um, and, and I, I really like Cosgrove so I'm not kind of I'm not it's not meant to be a criticism of him but Cosgrove is one of those players where like the goals all gravitate towards him and, and he, he almost takes goals off all the other players because they, they don't get the same opportunities whereas Watkins it's very much about the three of them and uh, right another player who I've, I've never really been keen on I don't think he's a long-term an Aberdeen player, but he's doing the business in terms of kind of being busy. Um, and Hedges, I, I've been really impressed with again. And then Johnny Hayes kind of almost adding an extra dimension, kind of popping up from wing-back quite a lot. Um, and Matt Kennedy. Kennedy, yeah. I, I don't think Kennedy had, had his best game the other, the other day. But um, but yeah, they, they've got so much. It's an embarrassment of riches, isn't yeah. it, really? And, and it's the only way you can think about Getting essential, what are essentially you could almost argue five wingers into your team is to do it that way, and and it, it is working for them. I guess in a, <laughs> that's wild. Actually, now you yeah. put it that way. <laughs> um, there will be sterner challenges in terms of what their defence has to do because I think that was what Kelly lacked. Um, but at the same time, I think you have to credit, as I say, Hoban. Hoban, yeah, Hoban think... to me, Hoban to me seems like a player who, if not for his injury problems would be nowhere near Aberdeen. Yeah, well, well I think what, when he was at Watford, I think they might have had a shot at kind of getting a wee run of games in the top flight with them in, in, in England and maybe he wouldn't have been good enough, but but you see guys at that level, like who you, you watch an English Premier League game and you're like, how the hell is he still playing there? He could have been that. Um, but uh, no, I, I think, yeah, 
it was you could tell the fact that he obviously had them in on loan two years ago and then lost them very quickly. And then when the opportunity came to bring him back in again, he, he jumped at it. And I think you can see why. Um, and I think all three of the centre-halves that they're playing are very well suited to a back three, um, which which isn't the case for for all uh, for everyone. So, so, yeah, I just think the, the, the verve and the excitement of that team, as I think I, I think I mentioned this before, it's like they've replaced a bunch of... Um, it looks like a fresh Aberdeen team. Okay, some of the same names are still there, but not that many of them were there three years ago compared to, you know, there, there was a while where it just seemed to be the same names on that team sheet for years. The one the one thing that jumped out at me is those uh, Hernandez. Um, I, I, I'm not sure that's uh, that's going to go well. He's just he's just been bombed out again. Yeah, um, uh, yeah. Even when they made a defensive change to bring on a right back, it was Shea Logan. I don't think he was on the bench. Actually, I think he might be right. Now that I think about it. Um, and and yeah, that was the thing. It was still McInnes was still being McInnes because he, he did take off Kennedy for Logan. He brought on. Uh, I think I think the Watkins get injured. Then he brought on. Um, or, he, or he at least had the knock, and he brought on Nash Taylor. Yep. <laughs> it's it like they're still doing those McInnes things, but. Um, I think it worked for them in that particular game because... Kelly in fairness, was, the second of those two was very late. Yeah, it was like, in stoppage time, basically, yeah. yeah. Um, but it, it did feel like if we were going to score, it was going to be through the middle rather than from the wide areas, just the way we've been playing. And so it just completely it completely blocked that all off. And Yeah, it was... Yeah, I I couldn't... I just thought it was... A, I, to be honest, I thought it was a really, a really good game by what I would say was two good teams, um, which... I haven't been sure about us in terms of like, we've played well, but when you see us kind of going up against Aberdeen in so many of our games, and maybe it's it's just that, so many of our games against Aberdeen have been shit. Even the game that finished 4-3 in the Scottish Cup for 89 minutes was dreadful um, until they equalised and then and then the extra time was just mental. Um, but to see a game between Kelly and Aberdeen that didn't just descend into like both teams just shithousing each other was quite refreshing. I don't know if the lack of crowds um, held that. I guess we've not mentioned the fact that we've been oh, yeah. uh, talking but, about two, the two games that had fans at them, but um, it, it did, in a sense, make a wee difference to watching watching the game. Cause it, did, wee, it was just a wee kind bit of, of noise. Aye, yeah, when, when something good happens and you hear a wee ripple of of applause that, that yeah. was just that was an improvement and there was they're not supposed to shout but there still was a couple kind of like just like not like necessarily somebody shouting something at one of the players but more just kind of like oh kind of thing yeah. suppose there's counter shouting which you're not supposed to do but I think we can let them away with it yeah, it's and a natural that, reaction when you're at a game and I think you've, you've had a lot of kind of miserable folk kind of being like oh this is the future of football and so on but it's not the future it's it's a test yes it's a fucking present we're having the best to deal with what we're yeah. doing right now I, I would rather have a game with 300 and then hopefully 1,000 or 1,500, you know, fans at it than, than an empty stadium. Oh, definitely. Um, and, and I mean, I, I guess I'm, I particularly got a vested interest from a Kelly point of view in the sense that we can probably get pretty much our entire home support into the into the ground socially distanced, which will be an advantage over other clubs. But um, I, I am just desperate to get back to a game at this point. And, and you know, it seems to be getting pushed further and further away. But I, I, I am still confident it will happen at some point, not that far away, um, and, and I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It'd probably be the same at Tynecastle. I mean, t- typically Hearts are normally pretty full of stadium, but if Ann Budge continues to with a <laughs> tremendous public relations campaign with her own support, then yeah, it might, it might get to the point where there's only about a, a thousand people rattling around Tynecastle. Bring back, it's like a callback to the 80s, isn't it? 
<laughs> it's a callback to what we would have been if Romanoff had never turned up mm-hmm. with 10,000 heart fans rattling around Murrayfield. Anyway, thank you very much, Craig. And thank you very much to everybody for listening. Make sure to check out the Patreon where myself and Gary Cocker actually talk about the uh, Anbudge PR disaster with the d- decision to loan Denix Lamal to Saberman. We'll break down the reasons why it was made and break down the reasons why Hearts maybe thought it was a good idea and the reason why ultimately I decided it definitely wasn't a very good idea. <laughs> so make sure to check that out, patreon.com forward slash Terrace Podcast. And yeah, find us on Twitter, tw- at Terrace Podcast. It's the best way to get in touch with us if there's anything you want to raise about today's show. Craig, say goodbye. Cheerio. Goodbye. Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.